You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Ah, well, good morning. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing this morning? My name is Mike, one of the pastors here this morning, and excited to bring to you God's Word this morning and that. So if you wouldn't mind taking your Bibles and opening up to the Bible book of Mark, we're continuing our series in Jesus called Jesus Saves and looking at the Bible book of Mark. I also encourage you to take out of your worship folder uh, the uh, outline. Uh, Carrie talked about all the other, th- other things that are in there, but inside there, there is also an outline. You can notice it because it has some blanks. There, that's to take out some notes today. The blanks are going to be answers are going to be on the screen, but also I want to encourage you to pick up in the lobby area uh, the study guide. We do these almost every week, and they have a continuing study from the this Sunday. And a lot of our life groups, what Carrie mentioned, our smaller groups use this as their curriculum, but it's great for personal Bible study as well. And on the back of that are all the answers to the fill in the blanks, plus a lot of the extra verses. And I also call some reference. Uh, to that as we go along this morning. But I'm glad that you're here. Mark, uh, the author of this well-written and provoking book, is challenging his readers, really us, to make an important, life-changing, life-enhancing choice for life. Now, we make a, a lot of choices every day. You've already made 100 choices coming here this morning, and some are really important. Uh, They're long-lasting and life-changing. Others are kind of benign, like the color of socks you wear in the morning. You know, how many of you wear crazy socks? Yeah, you like those things? Okay, you wear crazy socks. Who who doesn't wear crazy socks that should? (laughs) Richard, I think you need some crazy socks, so I'm going to give you a pair of crazy... Put them on right now. Uh, (laughs) Well, and, and here's an even funnier thing is that um, I asked Christy, uh, my wife, to go buy some uh, crazy, she was going to Target, and she said, I, hey, buy me some crazy socks, I want to give them out just for fun today. And she goes, okay, and she goes, I got three pair, just in case you want to give an extra pair, you know, on a, like maybe the second or, or, or service or something like that. And I said, great. She goes, look, and it has all these little like Pac-Man people on it. And, I, and she looked at it, and she went, oh, no, um, it has all kinds of beer glasses and wine glasses and uh, mixed drinks glasses on the socks. So um, she says, you probably wouldn't want to give them out at church. Maybe. (laughs) Anybody want to wear these ones? Okay. (coughs) Why not? You can even put them on right now. That's good. Well, see, some decisions are just silly like that or, or that, but <clears throat> we make all kinds of decisions all day long, and, and deep down in our human psyche, truly, we want to make decisions that matter, decisions that are life-changing, empowering, enhancing, that make life better for us, where we'd have better relationships, uh, satisfy our curiosities, uh, be better people, love God more, live the amazing uh, life we were created to live. I was uh, um, 
looking at Facebook this past week, and I, and I came across an unusual phrase that caught my attention. It said this, you are one decision away from a better life. And I thought, wow, that sounds really appealing because most of us do want to be better. We want to improve. We want to progress. We want to advance. We want to develop, uh, be it at our jobs, uh, at school, in our friendships, in our families, uh, with our finances, in our communities, in our relationship with God and living life His way. For the decisions we make are truly vital. They shape us. Well, Mark, the author of the uh, Bible book of Mark, knows this and is challenging us with this most important decision in life, a decision that will shape every other decision. It's a decision not just for the elite or uh, the religious or for one ethnic group or or another or, or, or just for the rich or the poor, but a decision we all can and really should make. It's the decision most every one mentioned in the Gospel of Mark is grappling with. And in one particular interaction with a guy by the name of Bartimaeus, the passage that we're going to look at today in Mark chapter 10, verse 46 to 52. The decision is revealed in two parts. So I'd like for us to explore this interaction and discover these life-enhancing decisions. And, and truly, we are just a few decisions away from a better life. So if you wouldn't mind <clears throat> setting your Bible aside and, and stand up, and let's just pray and ask God to do something amazing and miraculous in our life this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you for bringing us together today and the, the fun we can have and the time of great singing and, and just enjoying this time walking through this story. And I thank you, Lord, for it. I, I pray that truly our eyes will be opened to what you would have us to learn this morning, that we would truly see you, Jesus, and, and make those strides to follow you. Challenge us personally, Lord. You know our lives. You know the things that we go through, the ups and downs and struggles and issues. And, and Lord, may this help us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat and, again, encourage you to take out your notes and, and, and jot down and, and uh, uh, open up your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, our handsome ushers have Bibles in their hands and they would love to give you a loaner if you'd like to borrow that. Just as they're walking down the aisle, raise your hand. They'd be happy to... Uh, I'll let you have a Bible with you, and then you can follow along, Mark chapter 10. <clears throat> but these decisions are ones Jesus actually brought up with his disciples. As a matter of fact, in Mark chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter, uh, kind of representing the whole group and, and just blurting it out, saying, you are the Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, the one that the Old Testament has talked about, this, this king, an amazing one. Yet Peter actually struggled with what was meant by what he said that Jesus is Messiah. Because the truth is, at that point, Peter did not truly see Jesus. And how we know that is that right after these verses in Mark chapter 8, when Peter makes that great acclaim that you are the Christ, Jesus warns him not to tell anybody, but then he also goes into the fact that says, look, we're heading towards Jerusalem. It's not going to be easy. The elders and chief priests are going to take me away. They're going to beat me. They're going to scourge me. They're going to hang me on a cross. They're going to kill me. But I am going to rise again. 
And Peter, almost incensed by this, says, Jesus, no! I won't allow it. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. He calls Peter the enemy. Because Peter didn't see Jesus. He only saw what he thought was Jesus and what Jesus should be, this great king that kind of rides in on triumphal entry of Jerusalem and, and wastes away Rome and takes over, and then he and his brothers and friends can all sit and enjoy that political freedom. He didn't really see Jesus for who Jesus is. And nor really did Peter follow Jesus at this point. And actually, as you read on, and the, uh, Peter denied Jesus not just once, not just twice, but three times. Now later, Peter did see Jesus and did follow Jesus. But Mark, in this passage, in Mark chapter 10, takes an unlikely person, actually a blind person, to show that a decision to see Jesus and follow Jesus are decisions that make a difference and really what God desires of us. So I'd like us to first look at the, the decision to see Jesus and for us to grapple with the, the reality, do we see Jesus or do we simply have this notion in our mind and we're trying to defend it with all the things that we think Jesus is? Do we really see Jesus for who he is? Open your eyes. Let's read this first part of this passage in Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and he, Jesus, was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd. Now, let me just stop there. This, this passage or this story is also found in the gospel of Matthew and Luke, and if you get the study guide, you can see where exactly that is. And as you're reading the different gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all give different camera angles to the same story. They're all the same story, but they give a different uh, sight. And, and sometimes the author, who, especially Mark, who's definitely a dramatic writer, uh, draws out some things. They're still true, but he draws out some things that maybe the others didn't pick up on. Like, for instance, uh, and they came to Jericho, and as they were leaving Jericho, actually, I think it's Luke's version that says they were going to Jericho. Because the reality is there's two Jerichos. There's the ancient Jericho, you know, where the walls came tumbling down. That one would never be rebuilt. But there was another Jericho. And you could be coming and going in from Jericho to Jericho, but it doesn't mention which one. So it's not that it's not accurate. It's just that it's a different angle. <clears throat> in the same way, it says you're going to meet a, a, one of the uh, uh, blind men here, uh, Bartimaeus, but actually there were two. And one of the other Gospels mentions their two, but doesn't mention their name. Now, the reason Mark mentions their name is from what's going to be, you're going to find at the end, that he actually comes, comes and follows Jesus. But they came to Jericho, and as he, Jesus, was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Blind Bartimaeus was actually seeing 
Jesus. Now, this is the second healing of a blind man. And actually, Mark, in his, uh, in his gospel, bookends a very important section between one healing of a blind man and then this healing of a blind man. And in that uh, little uh, set-aside part of the story of Jesus, he wants us to understand something. He's trying to get us to see Jesus. And he uses the unlikely character of blind men to bookend this amazing reality of seeing Jesus for who he is. It's a literary section because he wants us to see Jesus as king and to see Jesus' mission. Because, see, Jesus, Messiah, the king, the leader, the, the, the Lord of everything, would come with a certain sign. You would know that if it was Messiah, if he gave sight to the blind. And so he does. Before and after, he tells of him being king. But also his mission, which involves Jesus' suffering and his death and his resurrection. Mark chapter 8, verse 31 and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And this is repeated in Mark chapter 9, verses 30 and 32, and Mark chapter 10, verse 32 and 34. And Mark is challenging us to make the decision to open our eyes and see Jesus, to have faith in who God says Jesus is, to see, to have faith in Jesus. It is faith in Jesus as king. For the term son of David is, is from the prophets of old, saying that the true king of the world would come from the lineage of David, Israel's greatest king. Making Jesus, Messiah, king, a son of David. Now, if you want to know more about the genealogies, pick up the study guide. There's some listings about how Messiah will be from the son of David. Jesus and faith in Jesus as king <clears throat> is the surrender to Jesus as the key leader of our lives. It is uh, faith in the leadership and influence and rule of Jesus in our lives. And as Bartimaeus screamed out, Jesus, son of David, he was saying, Jesus, I have faith in you as Messiah. You are my Messiah, my king. And I subject myself to your authority in my life. What are you or is your life screaming out? Is it more, hey me, pay attention to me, <laughs> be all about me? Or is it saying, Jesus, king of my life. He's seeing Jesus as having faith in Jesus as king. Who is the king in your life? Seeing Jesus is also faith in Jesus' mission. Understanding that Jesus is dealing with a, a deeper cancer of sin and the, and, and the spiritual battle of lost souls. See, the reality is, is that <clears throat> we have this unfortunate problem with our life. The Bible is very clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Each one of us has attached to us this unfortunate bent to do wrong and to not go God's direction. And try as we might, we still continue to move that direction, and we're covered with it. And there's nothing we can do to, to change our life condition. 
We can't somehow erase all the bad by doing good or going to church thinking that somehow cancels it all out. We can't try to give and be all philanthropic and help all these different organizations and, and be so giving and kind. and all Those actions don't change us. Our sin condition is there, and that's why we need a Savior, and that's why we get so excited at uh, Easter time because we realize that Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin and to actually deal with our sin condition, and he did it by dying on a cross, and that's why we celebrate this Easter week, not because we're morbid that we think that, oh, you know, let's go you know, live again in a memorial service for Jesus. No, we, we celebrate because we know that Sunday's coming. And Jesus rose from the grave, and he took care of it all. And the fact that he actually conquered death makes him the victor. There is no power greater than Jesus. Have you everybody known anybody to raise someone from the dead? No, because nobody can do that but God himself. And he has that power within He is powerful and mighty and amazing and incredible. And he is that powerful. There is nothing that Jesus cannot do. And when we come to him in faith, we are saved. Sin no longer has its way with us. Jesus' way is right. And a decision to see Jesus is life-changing. Now, he may not heal all of our affirmities or the maladies sin causes, but the promise is clear, 1 Peter 5, verse 10. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Maybe before heaven or certainly once we get there. The key is to see him and to have faith in his mission. See, we're not to choose to have the little faith of the disciples. In uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 40 and around there, uh, the disciples, are, they, were, they go back and forth over the Sea of Galilee a number of times. Well, in this one particular time, they start rowing out and the sea begins to get all turbulent and, and waves crashing and, and Jesus is exhausted. He's been healing people and helping people and spending all night in prayer and he's exhausted asleep in the boat. And Jesus uh, is there sleeping, and the waves are crashing, and, and, and things are, are rolling about, and, and these burly fishermen are getting all scared, and they're freaking out. And they said, well, we better wake up Jesus so he doesn't drown either. And they wake him up, and I don't know if they, he was frustrated because he got woken up, but certainly he was frustrated at their faith. For he stands up, and he goes to the storm, be calm, and all of a sudden, The storm calms, and the disciples, wide-eyed, move back to the back of the boat, away from Jesus, going, who is this one that calms the very storms of the sea? And Jesus turns back to them and says, oh, you of little faith. Little, because they did not see the power of the one that was in the boat. They did not understand that he is the all-powerful, almighty God squeezed into the tininess of a human. Little faith 
is also the, the littleness of Peter's faith found in Matthew chapter 14, verse 31. And actually, I believe the reason why Mark leaves out this story out of his gospel is because it's really a story of, of shame for Peter. Now, you think it wouldn't be because it's a story of Peter walking on water. It's another time when they're on the Sea of Galilee. And, and there, the, Jesus is on the shore, and, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, on the shore, and the disciples are out there rowing their way, and the sea comes up, and Jesus just walks out on the water, on top of the water, and Peter sees him and says, Lord, if it's you, call me out. And Jesus says, sure, come on out. And he steps out on the boat. And Peter's walking on water. But here's where the shame comes in. Peter took his eyes off Jesus. And he's no longer seeing the powerful, almighty, walk on water Jesus. He begins to look around and see the storm around him. And he starts to say, wait a minute. This seems more real to me than the power of Jesus. And he begins to seek and Jesus sink and Jesus grabs him. Picks him up and puts him in the boat, and they're both are standing there, and he looks at Peter and he says, Oh, you of little faith. I'm sure Mark, who's a disciple of Peter, chose not to write that shameful experience in there because didn't want to shame his mentor. But little faith is not seeing the true power of Jesus. But write down somewhere in your notes, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to around 18. It talks about how he is the 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 the, the uh, essence of the invisible God that Jesus is. He's the one who formed all that we see, and, and he is the one who holds everything together. He's the all-powerful, almighty one. Little faith doesn't see him as that. Little faith is also not seeing the person of Jesus for who he truly is. I, I love the story of Thomas, doubting Thomas he's called. Because here he is, Jesus has resurrected the disciples, resurrected on that Easter Sunday, and, and the disciples had seen him all but maybe a few, and, and, and Thomas was one of them, and he said, you know what, unless I see the nail prints in his hands and, and the scar in his side, I'm not going to believe. Well, Thomas is with the disciples, and here they are in the upper room, and in floats Jesus, and comes right up to Thomas and says, here they are, Thomas maybe took a step back, but what he says is recorded for all of time. He says, my Lord, Lord meaning my all-sufficient one, the one that I submit everything to, the one that I bow before, the one that takes the authority in my life, is the top authority in my life. There is no other authority but him, my Lord and my God. Thomas saw Jesus. See, great faith is seeing Jesus for who he is, unbound by our perception. It is to accept and to join in the celebration of the greatness of what he has done for us and who he is. I saw a video of an unlikely comedian, Steve Harvey, who would introduce Jesus. Well, this morning, I want to <clears throat> crank it up a bit to better see Jesus. And if I had the opportunity to introduce to Jesus, it might go <clears throat> something like this. Ladies and gentlemen, 
It is my great honor to introduce to you a man who needs no introduction. The world pauses at his birth and mourns at his death. But every Sunday, every Sunday they recognize his resurrection. Time is centered around him. B.C., before Christ. A.D., Addo Domini, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. Time centers around him. The honors, his honors, are too long to list. They are too magnificent to fully explain. The sheer volume of all he has done will take an eternity to discover and uncover. Now, someone's got to give me an amen at some point in this. He has done the impossible. He has healed the sick. He has pushed back leprosy. He's caused the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the lame to leap with joy. He has even raised the dead. He can walk on water. And he can turn water into wine. and is dutifully declared to be the living water of life that quenches the parched reality of a sin-filled world. He can feed the hungry, 5,000 at one time, with five loaves and two fish. He is called the bread of life, whose very person can feed what our hungry soul craves. He is hailed King of Kings, Ruler of the Universe, Lord of Lords, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, the bright and morning star, the Word of Life, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, Emmanuel, God with us. He is Redeemer. He is Savior, and He's my friend. He is the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So let's get up on our feet. Come on now, get up on our feet. And let us show some love to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus the Christ, the all-sufficient one, the magnificent Savior. It's Jesus. Let's welcome him here. Woo! Woo! Do you see him? Do you see Jesus? That's Jesus. Have a seat. Wow! Woo! Man, I'm getting my preach on. Woo! <laughs> but don't you dare. Don't you dare put him in a box or pass him off as some good teacher. His claims and character will not allow it. See Jesus, and it will change your life. There will be a comfort and a peace and a joy of having faith in him. What else 
is worth it. A life-enhancing decision to see Jesus is to see Jesus. It's also to choose to follow Jesus. Let's read on. Is that me? Yes? Sorry. It's distracting. <clears throat> I'll just have to be preaching louder. <laughs> Mark chapter 10, verse now 49. In verse 48, Bartimaeus is crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. In verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him all the way. Four elements of following Jesus. The first is to hear Jesus' call. Jesus is not only calling Bartimaeus, but he's calling each one of us. Matter of fact, the... Mark's whole book is about his call to live life Jesus' way. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, and Jesus said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. To believe is to follow. See, belief isn't just a, a mental twisting of your mind to say this is true. Belief is actually an action word where you actually step out and actually make some move and follow Jesus. It's the best decision to hear his call. Next, Bartimaeus threw off his cloak. The garment would have been laid out for the collection of money. People would throw their money as they walked to and from Jericho and, and hopefully helping him out. He would gather it off, stuff the money into pockets. It would also be a covering to keep himself warm and free from the wind. And he threw it aside with faith that this encounter with Jesus would be better. It's a decision for us to throw off our misconceptions and to throw off trying to do things our way and the different idols in our life, things that we place that God should only be. We place them in there to give us significant things that only God can give. And we throw those aside. It's very different from the rich young ruler that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. When Jesus says, throw it all aside and come and follow me, he couldn't. He just simply walked away. Bartimaeus threw away all he had, that cloak, maybe any of the money that was stuffed in those pockets. See, Bartimaeus heard Jesus' call, but he, and he throw, threw off his cloak, but he also sprang up. He didn't just, oh, you know, if it's convenient, I'll get up. No, with resolve, not timidly, not unsure, because he was sure. He knew Though blind, he saw. He had faith in Jesus, the son of David, Messiah, powerful Savior, who could do anything. Do you have that kind of sight? And Maybe that's why you struggle. You need to see Jesus and jump up to meet him. Bartimaeus heard Jesus. He threw off his cloak. He sprang up. 
And Bartimaeus came to Jesus. He walked, maybe stumbled a bit. He didn't wait for Jesus to come to him. He went to Jesus. So much, we sit there and go, okay, Jesus, you come to me. You kind of make it happen in my life. I pray, God, you show up in my life. He's already there. He doesn't need to show up. You just need to recognize that he's there. Doesn't the Bible say, I will never leave you or forsake you? He's right there. He's never left. Even though you've run away, he's still there. He's just a turn away. All you have to do is face him. Come to Jesus. It's to move towards him and seeking to know him more through experience, living out your faith, and through study. We have it in our Bibles. You know, we, we spend so much time on, you know, we're looking for a restaurant to go to. So, so we'll go through and check out lot, uh, Yelp and we'll look at all the reviews of the movies and we'll do all these things to, to, to research what we buy and all that kind of stuff. But why don't we research Jesus? I mean, we have the Bible. Matter of fact, it's written in a hundred million different languages. You can get it free online. Just Google anything. Matthew chapter 12, verse 2, it's there. Free. You can read it. It's in digital form. It's in printed form. They've got large letters, small letters, any kind of letters you want. They even got red-lettered edition. Those are the words of Jesus. They're in red letters. It's there. We need to learn through studying God's word and then learn through obedience, actually practicing our faith. That's why it's a, faith is something to be practiced. We're not good at it. We're, we need to keep growing at it. None of us are experts except for Jesus, and we need to follow him. To come to him is to learn of him through others who have experienced him. That's why we encourage you to get involved in a life group, in a smaller group, so that you can learn from others. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. So does one man, one person sharpen another. And so what does Bartimaeus ask once he's with Jesus? He says, Rabbi, which means respected teacher, my Lord, my master, my mentor, my authority, I want to see Bartimaeus already sees, already has faith. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you, for he's already seen Jesus. So Jesus blesses him with physical sight, and we're blessed when we come to Jesus. Now, he may not heal all of our issues, but we will be blessed beyond belief as we come to him. Bartimaeus heard Jesus' call. He threw off his cloak. He sprang up. He came to Jesus and Bartimaeus followed Jesus, a life decision to live life Jesus' way. It's like the, the game, follow the leader. You guys have played follow the leader before, haven't you? Okay, I, I need some help. Come here, follow, follow me. Just do what I do, follow me. Okay, Bob, you're a good follower. Follow, you know, him and, and Tab, come on. Follow, follow, follow the leader. Okay, we got one more. I got to need one more. Follow, follow us. We're just following the leader. Okay, so you guys need to follow the leader. I'm the leader. You just do what I do. Praise the Lord. We're praising God. Praise God. Come on, say it out. Praise God. Praise God. God is great. God's amazing. See, we're praising God, aren't we? They're following the leader. We're praising God. Well, also praising God's meeting people. Let's say hi to Chuck here. Hey, Chuck, how you doing? Let's all meet Chuck. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Well, we'll all meet Tony, too. Tony's a good guy. Hey, Tony, how you doing? Great to see you. Yeah. 
Yeah, these guys are good followers, aren't they? Give them a hand. You guys can have a seat. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. Thanks, you guys. You know, it's kind of silly, isn't it? And it is, it is a little simple, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but that's how simple it is. And here is what's the conundrum in this. See, to be a Christian says that we are little Christ. We are following Christ. And to follow Christ means we do what he says, right? That's what it means to follow. Yes? Yes. So we do what he says. But a lot of times we kind of, we're following along and, and Jesus tells us to do something. We go, wait a minute. That's not what I want to do. I want to do something different. Well, then are we following Jesus? No, we're to do what he says. And he said so much. Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, body, and soul. And he loved his father. So if Jesus loves God, what should we do? Love God. Jesus says to, to, to love your neighbors as yourself. Jesus loved. Jesus loved everybody. He even loved those people that didn't love him. Wait a minute. If I'm supposed to follow Jesus, that means I need to, I need to love that family member who doesn't like me? Yes! Jesus also forgave. He even forgave those who hurt him, those who willfully beat him. When he hung on a cross, he said, Father, forgive them. If Jesus forgives, and I'm a follower of Jesus, that means I need to forgive. Jesus cared for people. Jesus loved people. Jesus went to people who were not popular, and he never thought for himself. As a fact, Jesus gave up his will. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he cries out, not my will, but God, yours. That means we don't do what we want to do. We actually do what he wants to do. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And some of us have this crazy mixed-up idea that Jesus is the enhancer of my life. Woo! That I'm going to be able to do anything I want to do if I have Jesus. He's like some lucky charm with me or something that's going to pump me up so much that I can be more than me that I want me to be. And that's just not the way it is. God has called us to be a follower of Christ. And when we're following the leader, we just do what he says. That's what it means to follow. It's making my will to live and love like Jesus. It's an everyday choice. The question is, will you? Will you hear Jesus' call? Throw off the old ways. Spring up with resolve and with conviction and choice of faith. In Rabbi Jesus, follow him. You know, there are are tons of decisions we make every day. Most don't make all that much difference, just like the socks we wear. And yet some are life-transforming. And the truth is, if we are, that we are just a few decisions away from a better life as we see Jesus, placing faith in Jesus as king and his mission, but also the continuing decision to follow Jesus, to 
hear his call, to throw off that cloak, to spring up with resolve, to move toward Jesus and follow him as our Lord, to live life his way. Those are the, that's the decision that will make all the difference in the world. Have you made that decision? I sure hope so. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for the reality of life in you and the fact that you desire for us to be followers of yours. And you even show us the example through the unlikely person of a blind man who we think can't see anything, and yet he sees you more clearly than anyone. Lord, may we have that kind of sight in you to see you as the all-sufficient, all-amazing, incredible God that you are, and then to follow you, to simply follow you. Lord, you say that that's where the abundant life is found. That's where true life is found in following you. That though we give up our will, yet you give us a whole amazing, incredible life that we were meant to live. Help us to make that decision pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you time to think that through. <laughs> and that's why we have this time of reflection. And especially now as we prepare for communion.